Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly look at all things royal brought to you from Mail HQ in Kensington. I'm Jo Elvin and we're going to kick things off today with the latest news from the transatlantic content factory, also known as Archwell. That's right, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have announced a new animation that they're producing with Netflix. It's called Pearl and the Mail's royal editor Rebecca English can tell us more now. Rebecca, what's the story? Yeah, so it's her first show with Netflix. Obviously, Harry is executive producing another one on the Invictus Games. It's called Pearl. Um, It's about a 12-year-old girl and her adventures uh, based on her interactions with inspirational female figures from history. And it's being produced in conjunction with David Furnish, who's obviously the husband of Sir Elton John and someone who Harry has known for quite a while. The themes of the show seem to be very consistent with her previous messages, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was trailed some time ago that she was looking at doing this animation series on the inspirational female figures. And now, obviously, we've got a little bit more detail and it's it's very Megan, I think people will think. And also, don't Megan and Harry already have a relationship with David Furnish and Elton John? What can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so Harry's known uh, Elton John for years. Obviously, she, he was a close friend of his late mother, Diana, Princess of Wales. Um, and uh, he introduced Meghan to him after um, they were married. And actually, they stayed at his uh, holiday home in the south of France, quite controversially, you might remember, because, of course, they took a private jet to and from uh, south of France while they were preaching about climate change um, and uh, trying to get people to reduce their international travel. Uh, but no, they are they are very, very good friends. So I think it will be a pretty happy working relationship. Well, let's hear from our panel now. And joining me this week is the Mail on Sunday's diary editor, Charlotte Griffiths, and the Daily Mail's diarist, Richard Eden. Welcome to you both. Lovely to see you. Richard, what do you make of the subject matter that we've heard about, the choice of subject matter in Pearl? Well, it sounds fascinating. It sounds, um, as we've come to expect really from them, it's sort of um, me, 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 isn't it? It sounds like a, do you think so? a young version. Well, interestingly, even the name Pearl I think that's the the sort of Greek origins of the name Megan originally come from Pearl. So I think it's definitely... Well, you learn a lot at this show, don't you? (laughs) Every day. I think there is an allusion to herself there. But remember how Megan was a sort of feminist activist from a very early age. I think at the age of 11, she complained about a TV ad that involved... um, There was some slogan from Procter & Gamble about how... Um, women are sick of greasy... The women of America are sick of um, greasy dishes. Something like that. And she complained to say, this is grossly sexist. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was. Yeah, Yeah. and and they changed the ad. They got rid of the women reference. So that was from the age of 11. Mm. So I think from this new show, um, it's going to be showing how this young character, Pearl, has met all these historical characters that have played an important role in feminism or sort of female icons from history. Mm. Um, So it sounds very worthy. 
Very worthy. Does it sound like a kid's show, do you think, Charlotte? Well, I've got two young daughters, and they have picture books about feminist icons from history. So it is a sort of thing in the kids' world, but I will say that they aren't my children's favourite books. Um, in fact, they, What about The Bench? Do they like The Bench? Um, oh, I couldn't bring myself to buy a copy of The Bench. <laughs> the, grammar's too, yeah. the grammar's too bad for my two-year-old daughter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is worthy. I just don't think it's going to get the audiences she might be hoping for. But don't you think that... Wait, I don't know. I think they've still got this pull that we, whatever they slap their name on with Netflix, people will watch out of curiosity. Don't you? I mean, I know I will, uh, just to see what it's like. Yeah, I think but that, that's only one episode. I don't know yeah. how many episodes of this is going to happen, but I bet there will be um, some big numbers for the first episode, but we'll never know what those numbers are because Netflix never released them, yeah. so that's kind of clever of Megan. I was very pleased to see that um, David Furnish is one of the producers of this series. He's uh, better known as Elton John's husband, but he produced a wonderful um, film, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, see, I didn't like that <laughs> film. Are you being sarcastic? Which, no, no, before uh, yeah. it came out, everyone was very rude, but it was terrific. It was all with Elton's music, yeah. and it was very entertaining, so I hope... No, I love Elton John, but I did not enjoy that film. No, I, I thought, yeah, that yeah. film was terrible. I watched that on my daughter, so it was great fun, so I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be a bit of that sense of fun in this series. I mean, the thing about The Bench was, you know, it was very worthy, but it was dull. So it, essentially it depends, can they make this interesting? Mm. I hope they have a stronger animation, because The Bench, the animation I think is quite bland, personally. I hope they have some really punchy, Pixar-esque <laughs> characters. Well, that was a great animated discussion. Sorry, everybody. But now we do need to move on to the new front that has opened up in the War of the Windsors. And for once, I'm not talking about Harry and Meghan. Instead, this is the new battle between Prince Charles and his younger brother, Prince Edward. The Daily Mail's editor-at-large, Richard Kay, covered this story, and he spoke to us about that. All we know is it is the wish of the Queen and was the wish of Prince Philip uh, that Edward should, in due course, inherit the title. I mean, the nuts and bolts of this are, are quite simple. On Philip's death, all his titles pass to his oldest son, Prince Charles. Charles already has a Scottish title. He's the Duke of Rothsay. He uses that title whenever he's north of the border. It appears that he's been speculating, or he's been talking to people, about using the Edinburgh title. But he was assured that the Rothsay title was senior to the Edinburgh title. Where, what does all this mean and where does it lie? I'm not entirely sure, but I suspect it's to do with uh, Charles wanting to keep a handle on royal titles, who they go to. It's also to do with his vi vision and framework for the future of a slimmed down monarchy with fewer uh, working parts to it. And having a new Duke of Edinburgh who has a son himself, Edward has a son who would in due course inherit the title one day, maybe Charles thinks that's spreading it a bit too thin. We don't entirely know. They're not particularly close. There's obviously a big age gap between them, 16 years. Um, but, but they are brothers. And, and, uh, but there is a degree of sibling rivalry within the royal family, perhaps more pronounced than in, in any other family, quite frankly. Um, and over the years, Charles has been unhappy about certain things that the Wessexes have done. I have to say, since all that business with Sophie and the fake shake all those years ago, she and Edward have pretty much knuckled down and got on with sort of low-grade royal work. My feeling is that um, if the Queen were to have a word in her son's ear, then Charles would fall into line and Edward will get the title. I mean, you'd have thought this would be something that wouldn't really matter. You'd have thought he got enough on his plate. I mean, he's doing so much of uh, the monarchical duties now. He does a lot of his mother. He's sort of running that. He's the head of the family, effectively, now. All the problems with Harry, unresolved. 
Prince Andrew, uncertainty over his scandal, what's going to happen there. He's got enough on his plate. I mean, you'd have thought this would be something that wouldn't really matter, but these things do matter to the royals. They take these titles and honorifics incredibly seriously, and a lot of thought goes into them and where they fit into the scheme of things. Well, it's all rather extraordinary, isn't it? Let's hear from the panel now. Richard, you expect to see stories about children not fulfilling their late parents' wishes in the news, in the papers, but you don't really expect it from the royal family, do you? There's something really human about this story that I think we can all relate to. You know, it's like if your father's um, pledged something to you sort of all your life and, and then he dies and then you hear actually one of your brothers or sisters is going to prevent you... Um, receiving what you're expecting all, to get all from I'm your getting, father. All I'm in line for is a Holden, an old Holden, and they can have it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's... So you can understand Edward's frustration. He's spoken about this publicly, about how he expects this. But then I sympathise with um, Prince Charles because he has had this plan for many years to slim down the monarchy. And I think part of that is he doesn't want to sort of be almost creating new titles. So if... Edward gets this title of Duke of Edinburgh, it would then be handed on to his son and his son beyond that. And I think he's trying to cut down those titles. Mm. But it's all, um, it's quite sort of complicated and it, and it is, um, it does seem strange times. And it makes me wonder if we've spoken on this programme in recent um, weeks about how Edward and Sophie have taken a quite a prominent role after Philip's death. They've given lots of interviews and almost become sort of spokesman mm. for the royal family. And it does make you wonder if Prince Charles hasn't been very happy about that. Well, mm. quite. Do you have any sympathy for Charles's position? I do a bit, because he can't really keep an eye on his own children, by which I mean Harry. I imagine, <laughs> you know, as, as Richard says, the, uh, Viscount Seven, uh, Edward's son, you know, he will one day be slightly more famous if his father has this big title. And what happens if he grows up to be a sort of tearaway... Um, you know, it, there's a lot more branches of the family to keep an eye on if Edward gets this big title, I'd say. So I can sort of sympathise with why he wants to slim down, starting with this. Do you think there's anything to what Richard was saying in his piece about, you know, you mentioned this PR campaign of Sophie and Edward. Do you think that there, there was a, a deliberate thing to demonstrate to Charles and to the public that actually we are relevant, we are important, we are worthy of Edward having this title? I think so. Well, remember immediately after Philip's death, when we're at the church, we saw Prince Andrew. He was stepping forward and giving interviews. Then I think someone must have had a word because he then disappeared and didn't give any more interviews. Mm. But we've had a series of them in um, newspaper magazines, which is very unusual. They were yeah. on, on the radio, and they they did seem to sort of seize that opportunity or and did it very well you know I've said before I think Sophie's a great speaker and they're both great representatives of, of the royal family so I mean personally I, I think it would be very sad if they don't have a, a prominent role in the, in the future it would you, be a great loss. The other thing I don't understand is what does it say about um, going against a, a, a dead man's wishes? Well, I think it was, it's very awkward because it was publicly announced at the time of their wedding that he would eventually become the Duke of Edinburgh mm. and then the son would become the Earl of Wessex. That, that was accepted. And then that, that's been repeated in interviews recently. So, obviously, it wouldn't have happened if Prince Philip was still with us. Mm. Um, but that's the brutal nature of monarchy that um, Charles will be king and what he wants goes, you yeah. know. So... Mm. 
it's he's the one with the power and he's making that clear. Yeah. Philip wanted to um, bring down the size of the monarchy as well. So it's in one way you could say it sort of is within his wishes. Mm. Maybe that's how Charles is justifying it to himself. And what do you think is the conversation then in the Wessex household at the moment? Oh how gosh. do you think Edward is dealing with this? They latest. must be fuming. This was his time to shine. This was his moment to become a big name with a big title within the royal family. Um, and it was tantalisingly close for him, and now he's lost it. He must be fuming. And from what I've heard, Charles hasn't spoken to Edward directly about it. Oh, really? You know, even about a week or so ago, Edward gave an interview where he said, we'll have to see what happens when Prince Charles becomes king. Oh, my gosh, that's embarrassing. You know, so just stick it in the Daily Mail and let him read it there. So it's been sort of yeah. leaked out. And yeah. um, I think partly there's a lot of flies. We've heard things about what Charles is going to do. He's going to give more public access to the palaces and things like that. I think a lot of the time he wants to sort of get ideas out there and see how they and float, them, float yeah. with the public. Yeah. But what a bad time to do it because the, the monarchy needs to look like it's more harmonious than it, than it really well, is at all times. Let's move on. We are sticking with Prince Charles though now and the Daily Mail's royal editor Rebecca English was rubbing shoulders with him last night, as she does, as he hosted a charity event in aid of elephants. Rebecca, tell us more. Yeah, I was with the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall last night at Lancaster House. It was a gala charity evening in aid of the Elephant family. Now, that's a charity that was set up by Camilla's beloved late brother, Mark Shand. And uh, Charles and Camilla have now become presidents of the charity. And uh, the Duchess has told me on many occasions that they will both do any they, anything they can to continue Mark's uh, work, life's work it was, in helping um, uh, rural communities in India to live a peaceful coexistence with the elephants around them. And last night was all about raising funds for this credible organisation and auctioning off some of these fantastic elephant sculptures that we've spoken about on this programme before that have been commissioned and have been on display in London throughout the summer uh, and are now being auctioned off to raise money for Elephant Family. I mean, it really was a very, very glitzy event. There was this amazing Raj tent erected on the lawn at Lancaster House. Um, there was music by Catherine Jenkins and Tom Odell, and it was quite an eclectic a guest list. Um, I mean, you had the kind of, you know, society um, stalwarts like Lily Cole, Yasmin Le Bon, but I ended up uh, sitting down chatting at the end of the evening to um, the reality star, Gemma Collins, who I couldn't quite believe was there. She was having a quick cigarette on the, um, on the patio. And I kind of I said to her, how come were you here, you know, brushing shoulders with royalty? Um, for those that know, Gemma stars in a very popular reality show in the UK, The Only Way is Essex. And she said, yeah, it was the first time she had um, been invited to rub shoulders with royalty. In fact, she jokes that I've gone from reality to, to royalty. But actually, she had done a lot of work for the Elephant family, publicising uh, their uh, very, very good work. But yeah, it was quite an eclectic uh, guest list last night. Now, Prince Charles has also been praising one of the men of the moment, hasn't he? English striker Marcus Rashford. Yes, the Prince of Wales has touched on this subject. And obviously, kind of the issue of race and racism is a, a really delicate subject for the royal family at the moment in, in light of those very, very incendiary allegations made by Harry and Meghan earlier on this year. But, you know, I think the Prince of Wales has done a lot to try and promote diversity in this country over many, many decades by bringing communities together and he they made the point on his social media channels on Monday in the kind of wake of the kind of 
the, the massive outpouring of outrage at the treatment meted out to Marcus Rashford and other um, black England players. And they made a point of including a, an excerpt for a speech of a speech that the Prince of Wales gave in which he praised the diversity in Britain and said it's you know one of our big selling points. It, you know, we are not a country divided. We are actually a country united. And he also referred again later on in the week to Marcus Rashford when he um, gave a talk on uh, better farming practices on the Today programme on Radio 4. And he made a point of highlighting the extraordinary campaign he waged this year over enabling young and disadvantaged children to get free school meals and he, he praised this mission as he described it and described the work that Marcus Rashford had done as extraordinary. And on to other news, Sarah Ferguson has given an interview this week. She seems to have picked up on the self-help speak of her fellow royal redhead Prince Harry. Oh, yeah, this one caught my eye as well. So she's given an interview with People magazine to highlight the Mills and Boons book she's bringing out. I think it's called My Heart for a Compass. Anyway, it comes out next month. And she's quite an eccentric character, Sarah. And yes, I mean... <sighs> To be honest, some of the interview is not particularly intelligible to me. I'll, I might read you out one of my favourite quotes. Um, she talks a lot about herself in the kind of first person. Says, it's like I've gotten out of my own way. I've really become Sarah. The Duchess is there. Good old Fergie's there too. But Sarah is authentically present. I don't know what that means, and I'm not sure anyone else does too, but... It's for an interview and she's publicising her book. So there you go. And was there any mention of Prince Andrew in that piece? There isn't a mention of Prince Andrew, but then again, I'm not sure Prince Andrew is, uh, any mention of him is going to help her sell Mills and Boone's books, quite frankly, at the moment. Thank you, Rebecca. Well, Prince Edward might be a mere minor royal in the eyes of his brother, Prince Charles, but there are even more lesser known blue-blooded Brits than some may be aware of. Royal historian Marlene Koenig talked us through some of the names to look out for in the diary pages. Queen Victoria had nine children and she has close to 1,500 descendants, uh, not all living, of course. And they are largely private people who get invited to the um, official events such as the Trooping the Colour or uh, th service of Thanksgiving or the Christmas luncheon in December. But for the most part, um, they get to do their own thing. Two of the young people who fall into this category are Sam and Arthur Chatto, who are the sons of Lady Sarah Chatto and her husband, Daniel Chatto. Lady Sarah is the only daughter of the late Princess Margaret. So that makes Sam and Arthur great nephews of Queen Elizabeth. They like taking their shirts off on their Instagram accounts, but they're also um, charity-minded um, they both studied history of art at the University of Edinburgh. So they are planning careers, and I think they'll be in the gossip pages for some time to come because A, they look good, uh, B, they want us to know they look good, and C, their grandmother was Princess Margaret. So there's going to be that little connection to um, if they do things that are a little bit uh, rebellious because grandma was a bit of a rebel. Next up, we have the three Windsors, the grandchildren of the Duke of Kent and the children of the Earl of St. Andrews. Uh, Eddie, who has the courtesy title Baron Downpatrick, and his two sisters, Lady Marina Charlotte Windsor and Lady Amelia Windsor. Eddie, when he was at Oxford, was the president of the Bullington Club, which doesn't have the best of reputations. 
Um, but he seems to have moved beyond that. He is involved with a Scottish fashion company called Fighter with designs for men, Scottish-based designs for the Highlands. And he is also the head of strategy for a financial company called Fintuity. Eddie and his younger sister, Lady Marina, both, when they were confirmed, they chose to be confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church, which is the faith of their mother. This means they cannot succeed to the throne. Lady Amelia, who has signed with the Storm Model Agency, um, is making a career of being a model. And she uses her Instagram account to tell us about what's in her makeup bag, for example. Um, so probably receives um, some money for that, uh, which is not a bad thing. I mean, that's what they do. Moving on from the Windsors, but not too far in relationship, are their first cousin, Cassius Taylor, who is uh, one of four children of Lady Helen Windsor uh, and her husband, art dealer, Tim Taylor. Lady Helen, of course, is the only daughter of the Duke of Kent and the sister of the Earl of St. Andrews and Lord Nicholas Windsor. Cassius has a little bit of a reputation as a raver, party boy, um, is best buds with uh, Rafferty Law, the son of the actor Jude Law, and he also likes all those concerts, including Glastonbury. So when COVID is over and people get back to concerts, keep your eye out for Cassius. These young people are all well-educated, but they don't have the family fortune to fall back on, and they have to earn their own living. Don't be surprised that in the future that these young people, as they grow older, begin to uh, look to other causes, perhaps take on some of the patronages of their grandparents or other organizations, because they do have a sense of duty that might not be working for the royal family, but a part of their history. Well, as luck would have it, I am sitting here with two of the people who write about these royal descendants every day. Charlotte, which of these minor royals do you like writing about the most? Um, I like the cool ones that have an edgy look. Are they cool ones? There are cool ones. <laughs> yeah. Amelia Windsor's quite cool. Oh, you yeah, can find yeah. her strolling around Notting Hill in like a boob tube. <laughs> oh, boob tube. <laughs> I mean, what I mean is, in all seriousness, these are royals like we've never seen royals before. They're cool, they go raving, they wear cool clothes, they're a bit scruffy, they do slightly naughty things. They're perfect diary fodder, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, what's wonderful, like the diary editors. what's wonderful about the minor roles is that they're not constrained by the sort of conventions and traditions of, of the more senior ones. So whereas you could never imagine Harry or William posing with their shirts off, showing us their toned bodies, you know, that's what we've seen with Arthur Chateau, for example. And, and so he makes regular appearances in the column. And, um, and the same with their, their various antics. You know, there's all different ones, a whole cast of characters that we can write about. But yeah. they're also presumably not protected in the same way. Is that ever a problem for them? Well, some of them quite like it. You know, mm. Amelia Windsor's had little jewellery deals and gets sort of free clothes because basically we write about them. So uh, it suits them quite well. And the Chateau brothers, well, I mean, they're always taking their tops off on social media. So, uh, you know, we've been <laughs> and, writing you know, about them a nobody long time. gets mad about it. And they've never yeah. turned their Instagrams to private or put their tops on. So <laughs> I'm saying I think they're probably fine with it. I mean, there's a lot of them, aren't there? That's what really surprised me. It's, it's amazing that there aren't more scandals. Well, maybe this is why Prince Charles is so keen to slim down the <laughs> yes. monarchy, because... <laughs> yeah. uh, Just in case. You, you, do, yeah. you don't want to have all these people with sort of titles causing problems for the, for the monarchy. I did um, one of my column. I did a Lips Are Sealed about one that went raving and turned up and she had eyes like saucers. 
Maybe what? even by saying she, I've said too much. I won't name the Don't royal. say who it is, oh, or we, this programme will be broadcast. Big anyway, um, my lips are sealed, but she turned up at Kensington Palace and amused the security staff because she was in a state of uh, inebriation, shall we say. Do you sort of like ever find yourself drinking with these people? Or? In the old days, I did. In the yeah. old days, when Harry was young, he'd literally go out to Bougie, admittedly, um, on a Tuesday night, and he'd be there every single week. And of course, now the the royals have grown up a bit. They've got families of their own, and you know the rest of us have had to grow up too, sadly. But um, <laughs> but we need these young royals to fill the diary because actually the rest of them are sort of doing yoga with Meghan Markle and eating avocados. I mean, generally it should be said that they're a pretty sensible bunch. And like Arthur Chateau, for example, has done some very worthy things. Like he rode round Britain, and you know, so they're not a bunch of um, sort of airhead reprobates, you know. So. Um, Sadly. <laughs> but if you look at the royal family, you know, the Queen's got four children, eight grandchildren, and on it goes. It's like this sort of like this brood is only going to grow. Can't we have some sort of competition where, you know, then someone can join the Royal Idol. Join the firm. You know, that yeah, yeah they yeah. could compete for a What for do you think role? my chances would be with my Australian accent? <laughs> I think you're doing very well in the royal family. <laughs> but you know, with no Harry and Meghan, there is a vacancy. Harry and Meghan were seen by Prince Charles as a you know crucial part of his vision for for the future of the royal family. And without them, there is a vacancy, and that's why um, all the problems with. Edward and Sophie are, are particularly sad, I think. Mm. But Sophie's not that glamorous. Sophie's not a good replacement for Meghan Markle in terms of walking the red carpet. Well, maybe there's an opportunity for Lady Amelia Windsor or yeah, one, maybe of, they one should of the bring others. Her forward. I mean, yeah. it would really feel like if you're a minor royal now turning up to the free bar just as though everything ran out, wouldn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. like, that's, you know, I think that's, that's really bad luck. Yeah, that's very true. But luckily, they've got us to still write about them. <laughs> Well, that is all we have time for today. Sadly, my thanks to Richard Kay, Rebecca English, Charlotte Griffiths and Richard Eden. And a reminder that you can sign up to Richard's excellent royal newsletter by heading to www.mailplus.co.uk forward slash palace hyphen newsletter. Until next week, thank you so much for watching. Bye bye. <laughs>